0: Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Benjamin Graham with the news. The U.S. Department of Scientific Intelligence has issued an urgent warning. Rolling Stone magazine readers have seen a terrifying increase in rapid eye annihilation disease. The DSI urged no one read this month's issue as the anti read technology was not yet available at the time of print. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio.
1: Dairy
2: Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hello, constant readers. And today we are covering the movie adaptation of Firestarter. And we have Ben leading our discussion. Ben, good luck. <laughs> what to say? <laughs> I, I've never seen this
0: movie. And before we started, I I turned to you guys. I'm like, what is the general consensus of this movie? I, I have no prior knowledge or information. I didn't know if this is like considered a cult classic, if it's well regarded or not.
1: Four out of five blue chambray.
0: Shirts. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> to your
2: insanely high rating, it it was it was bad. Back me up, guys. Oh God, yeah, it was. It's terrible. It, this entire movie is the definition of the shrug emoji. Uh,
0: like, yes, <laughs> it's so
2: violently low.
0: I don't know about low budget because some of the effects are pretty rad. Yeah. but just like when you think of bad 80s movie this fills all of those cliches
2: yeah it really does
1: i disagree
0: wow really
1: i don't think that it's super great it's not one of my favorites but it's not terrible and i wouldn't call it bad even
0: really Mm i okay you know what i i halfway agree i don't think it was bad i think it was nothing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to remember watching this movie by the time I get home from recording today It's It was an hour and a half of blank space in my life
1: But it's interesting you say that because I thought that it followed the book pretty closely
2: The book, which I argue is boring Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Uh, let's can we, get into it Yeah, I was very excited from Jump Street because for all intents and purposes, that the beginning is spot on. Mm-hmm. How'd you guys feel about the beginning, though?
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree that, for the most part, it is. It follows the story of the book very well. I disagree right from the beginning. I was like, we gotta follow this guy as our main <laughs> character. Uh, the guy that plays Andy, uh, I believe his name is David Keith, mm-hmm. which I only remember because he's not Keith David. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Is bad, he's not a good actor. I, of course, uh, longtime listeners of the show know that anytime we review a movie, I spend the entire time on IMDb's trivia page. <laughs> In Stephen King's book, uh, Creep Shows, where he talks about the movies he's made, apparently he says that David Keith was their 13th choice to play Andy. <laughs> wow, and you
2: can tell. <laughs> He really puts up a 13 performance.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's just when you are being out acted by an eight-year-old, it's
2: Drew a Barrymore problem. is amazing. Though. The best part she of the movie. I hate child actors. I hate child actors so much, but Drew Barrymore is one of the exceptions to that rule. She
0: she knocks it out. I definitely cannot say anything bad about
2: Drew Barrymore. But we can talk about how terrible Andy's accent is. Is it like a a Tennessee accent? Is that what he's going for? I think so.
0: It's, uh, well, uh, I also read there's, when they are hitchhiking, when they first, to skip ahead a little bit, when they first meet Irv Manders, played by uh, Art Carney, He says that they're hitchhiking somewhere south. Do you guys remember where? To Tennessee, to To Knoxville, Tennessee, Tennessee. because that's where the actor is actually from. So, uh, it is. It's not a bad accent that he's putting on. It's just a very thick accent that I did not imagine. No, I never imagined Andy with an accent. But for the most part, we're we're ragging on it. But it does follow. Uh, We start with them on the street. We are first introduced to the push. With Andy pushing the $500 bill on the cabbie.
1: Uh, Okay, I have a question for you (laughs) guys. I think this um, choice is a product of the times. Mm -hmm. Because I did not, and maybe it's because we've had so many superhero movies in the last (laughs) 10, 15 years. I know
0: exactly what you're going to say.
1: I don't need to see Andy physically doing anything (laughs) with his hair or his hands. Yeah. Or anything to, yes. for me he does, to know that he's doing the push.
0: He does a lot of what I call Professor X acting. <laughs> uh, where yeah. yeah, anytime he pushes, he grabs his the like the temples of and, and like grimaces.
1: Although in his defense, at least he doesn't turn on a fan.
2: Yeah. The <laughs> the visual indicators of their powers being used. I hated it. I absolutely hate it. And I don't know if
1: that's fair. I mean, I think that's really more. uh, Mm. That was okay then. Yeah. And it it fit.
2: I absolutely think that you're right. It is a product of the times for people who never read the book when they're seeing this movie. There has to be some indicator of like, Mm. oh, a thing's happening. But it destroys (laughs) the illusion. Because part of Andy's whole thing is that you can't know when he's using it sometimes it's just it's not noticeable imagine you went to his self-help seminar and he's like you know what and he just grabs two <laughs> fistfuls of hair and goes you gonna get that promotion <laughs> and then yeah i am gonna get that promotion okay
0: uh you bring up an interesting point which i wanted to talk to you guys later on about
2: but fuck it why not because
0: <laughs> this movie is so boring i don't want to talk about it i would much rather ask you guys if we had not read this book, would this movie have made any fucking sense at all? Because I argue, no,
2: barely. I feel like barely.
0: My biggest problem is obviously
2: Rainbird. Oh
0: my god, yeah. Rainbird
2: uh, is problematic.
0: Oh boy, Izzy. But most of all, in the movie, his his motivations in the book are crazy because mm. he's a crazy person. But none of it is none of it comes across in the movie. It's Absolutely. just he's I want Charlie. And then like half an hour later he gets asked why. And then he's like, Oh, I'm gonna kill her. And that's it. And, and that's it.
1: Well, and he, he talks about taking her power with him.
2: But what does that even mean? No, nothing. We, uh, okay. Um backtracking a little bit, the the death of Wanless. In the book, we talked about this for a long time about how he wants to get all the information he can because it sets the obsession with Charlie mm-hmm. and her power. Uh, because Rainbird is searching for some meaning in death when he sees it happen, and that's yes. what makes her special. In this, he <laughs> tickles him with a stick and then judo chops his nose into his face.
1: Uh, Okay, it's so
2: in- <laughs> it's so fast and it's so meaningless. Two- and so hysterical looking.
0: <laughs>
1: but two things about that. <laughs> I don't want to say in defense of. Yeah. But they he gets that basically from a meeting where he's already there when Wainless comes to meet with a cap. So we don't need him to go through that, I guess, with him in his hotel. It does kind of cheapen it because then it's like he's just there to kill him. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And I, I liked that they had that. I don't want to call it a moment, but they had that moment (laughs) together. And I also, the effect for when he hit him in the face, it was like a a prosthetic or a fake head for a second, and it just disturbed the shit out
0: of me. (laughs) And I appreciated that. We it to watch it It, again. So so I I I could laugh at it. It (laughs) looked like a plastic head head you know what it looked like is if they made a model of the actor that played wandless for the genesis song land of confusion music video does anyone know what i'm talking about (laughs) listeners go look up is it called land of confusion the land of it's about reagan (laughs) never mind (laughs) anyway look up Just. (laughs) Google Genesis music video terrible puppets.
2: That's what it looks <laughs> See, like. See uh, the when it, it's a practical effect like that, that is so uh, so off. I enjoy it. Like, oh, I, absolutely! Like, it's I, I, I charm. Thought, I thought that death was super
0: cool. It's, yeah, no, absolutely, it was one of my favorite parts of the movie, but also. It was ridiculous. So I'm just
1: a sucker for 80s movies and for practical effects. Even if the practical effects are uh, laughable, if they're (laughs) practical, I am just fully on board. Oh, for sure.
0: (laughs) Can
2: Um, we talk about Heather Locklear?
1: Why? Because, (laughs)
2: Because, okay, for all the things this movie did wrong, it did one thing right. And that is the the happy family before we see it kind of torn apart Yeah, and while it is dumb that in the experiment they get injected and immediately say i loved you for a thousand years although
1: i'm glad that because when he first said it it gave me flashbacks ben when we were talking about oh which character was it somebody needing to slow down because he's being kind of creepy
0: oh yeah oh, uh uh
1: wrote yeah. Um, <laughs> oh,
0: yeah but then
1: but then vicky is like yeah i love you too for a thousand years i'm like okay, okay
2: whatever. <laughs> all right they're they're, they're tripping Pauls. yeah but it was i mean in the book it's they fall in love because they have a, a full-on deep psychic mm. conversation in this and they get to know each other's souls and it's so powerful <laughs> and this it's we're really high and I love you forever, <laughs> jump forward to them married with Charlie and them teaching her to use her powers the way it should have happened. And you you see that, and they get an anonymous phone call that hangs up when they answer, and they reference that it's the shop keeping track of them. And you, you see this, this family unit that is not oblivious to what's happening mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. and so i i really enjoyed that element that i thought yep. was missing from the book the
0: full 45 seconds that we get of
2: that <laughs> um okay so
0: let's we, we've been jumping around let's let's get back to the the plot i guess uh <laughs> so because there is one thing i wanted to say in the airport they get out of the cabin they go to the airport and Andy is experiencing uh, the headache, which also does not come across. No. uh, Because his acting is just abysmal. (laughs) But they're going through with their plan. They need to get money. But the way they change this scene is so stupid in so many ways. (laughs) Uh, In the book, obviously, Charlie goes and she pushes the payphone to get money. And from her pushing... Her fire gets out of control and sets that random guy's shoes on fire in this Andy has telekinesis yeah and, and he apparently. gets the change <laughs> but the the army man is just literally arguing with his pregnant girlfriend in the middle of the year definitely
2: airport. not his girlfriend because he is telling her that he wants she's no part yeah and that she's sure. a massive slut and it could be anyone's kid. He's being a real fucking asshole.
0: Yes. Uh and and Charlie just steps away for a second and sets his shoes on. Shoes on fire. She turns on the fan yeah. in front of her. Okay, yep. the fan. I disagree. <laughs> I lo- I think that effect worked. You like it. Uh yeah. anytime she uses her power, her hair blows. I thought it it was okay.
1: My only issue with it cuz we still use that effect obviously mm-hmm. if you watch any Avengers movie is that it seemed like for some scenes they're, they didn't know where to put the fan or they put it in the <laughs> yeah, wrong yeah. Place
2: They put it behind her a couple it's times. it's like going
1: in her face and it's yeah. like, oh, no, wait, let's move it. And then it's going back. And it was Yeah, just
2: it could so have like, been more consistent I have, at least. Okay, I have a, the reason I bring it up, I have a question about this. Uh. Now, it, it, please correct me if I'm wrong. Now, I, I understand this being how it's represented early on because she doesn't have as much control over it. But towards the end in the book, don't they say that like when she's exploding the the cement wall uh-huh. that her phys- physically nothing is changing on yes, her right. because it, like even though some sort of energy should be passing through her and we discussed that maybe she's almost like tapping into That's
1: the coolest part of the an, book. An, yeah, like yeah. she's
2: tapping into an alternate dimension basically and channeling this. So physically nothing should happen to her the stronger she gets. Sure. And I know that that's they probably didn't do that because it's it, would lose, it would lose it would lose the audience a- physical me
0: visual me (laughs) this movie destroyed my
2: brain (laughs) but there are times later on where they don't move her hair and Andy doesn't grab his head so it's just it's not Mm -hmm. consistent but I wish that I feel like as an audience member I could have followed that oh when they're at full strength they don't need the extra stuff maybe when he Andy's running on empty he needs he's like holding his brain together because it hurts
0: yeah I yeah, the the this movie is directed poorly. Yeah, <laughs> is
2: the yeah. main problem. I would say so. Can, uh, before we move on, oh though, well, I you...
0: had a, a point that I was oh sorry getting to, yeah I d- sorry. I distracted. Um, that I was saying about Charlie wanders off and sets this guy's shoes on fire. So far, a little change, but not big enough to be a problem. Except for what Andy tells her immediately afterward. He pulls her aside and gives her. The same speech he gives her in the book of, hey, don't be upset. It only got away a little. Um, You could have set his hair on fire, his face. Like, it could have been worse. You're getting more control over it. Horseshit. Does not work (laughs) the way it happens in the movie. Because in the book, that makes sense because she's not trying to set anything on fire. Right. It gets away from her. This, She literally walks away and is like, hey, fuck you. Yeah. Sets his shoes <laughs> on fire. She's literally staring at him yeah. and it happens. It,
2: it doesn't You know, you're absolutely right.
1: I was just going to say that I don't like that change because it does make what she did intentional and mm-hmm. not yes. accidental. And it makes you wonder, okay, they're teaching her or they're trying to teach her to control it. So what's really going on there? Why is she, why is she letting allowing herself to mean mug some dude she doesn't know and then intentionally light him on fire?
0: Yeah, it, it's the the it's consistency. It's the logical consistency of the characters doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Charlie does not feel uh we never really feel her the the like shame she has in her powers.
1: Because she set out to do it and when she did it in the book it was just so accidental mm. and i think that's more powerful
0: yeah for her absolutely what happens next <laughs> <laughs> god they, this it's leaving me already
1: guys they leave the airport and they go to the hotel i mean it does really follow the book like yeah, step B by for step B.
0: almost yeah it's just it almost while I do like the book, seeing it all acted out <laughs> over two hours makes you go, wow, nothing happens in this book. I, I argued that from episode one. <laughs> you sure did.
1: They changed. So some of the changes they made in the movie, i like totally on board. That's fine. That works. For example, when Charlie, he's flashing back and Charlie gets kidnapped we don't go through the whole him calling the the friend and then mm, right. going you know trying to find her and making that stop and then going to the rest stop he just goes to the friend's house she's being kidnapped from that lady's home yeah it's just a it things thing up things up yeah i wish they would have changed more
0: is that uh, like just whole story just, across the board
1: yeah hmm. just picked it up a little bit tightened it up a little bit Made it a little shorter. Ooh,
0: now I like this segment. Ladies and gentlemen, a new segment. CM's pitch meeting. <laughs> <laughs> CM, please pitch us your take on uh, a Firestarter movie.
1: Oh my God. Okay, well, I have one really great idea for you guys. Stick with me. All right. It's going to be wild. Okay. Rainbird never talks about how beautiful Charlie is. He never says that he wants to get inside of
0: her. He does not, he does say, not say he, say he wants to get inside he of her. I heard no what matter I heard. what you
2: two. Okay. I will concede to mishearing that. <laughs> okay, so let's.
0: All I want to talk about is Rainbird. Forever. Um, we, we've alluded to it, but Rainbird, uh, obviously my favorite character in the story because of how fucking scary he is. He's so badass! And he is played by very old, very fat... Oh, wow, I almost said John C. (laughs) Riley.
2: I would watch the (laughs) fuck out of that movie. Yes! New dream casting. John Uh, C. Riley in the remake. (laughs) He is played by very old, very fat George C. Scott. Who is, as you may have guessed, not Native American. No. But he is um american, scottish and irish.
0: In german, yeah, german? Yeah, in german. White
2: as hell. So white.
0: And uh, on I guess in the movies uh defense they never outright say, "Hey, John Rainbird, he's a native american."
1: But they dress him kind of like But what they, they 100% a dress him
0: like. and make him have the long ponytail and I couldn't completely tell, but probably darken his skin a little bit. He
1: looked pretty tan. It
2: sucks. No, I didn't, I didn't like that. It sucks. I don't,
1: and I don't know what happened with that. I don't know if this is like something it's fair to blame the actor for. Maybe he had no, no. idea that it was supposed to be a native American character. So I feel bad calling him old and fat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you, I mean, you feel bad for he, using your eyes?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't doing a bad job playing a character. He just was I not Rainbird,.
2: Dis- oh, he, and not
1: not and not just because he's sure. a white dude, but because he did not project that
0: persona no, the he, way
1: Rainbird is. It just, like was all cut away. He
0: was not scary. He was not the like the the quiet, contemplative, menacing Rainbird. He was kind of jolly, and he was always laughing. And
1: He's a guy who definitely pushed the air before him when he
0: walked into it. Yes,
1: <laughs> and I don't and mean who's making fan jokes now.
0: Oh my god! But it's just—it's bad. It is the worst casting,
2: yeah, possible. Well, yes, the casting is bad. He physically looks like the opposite of what I would imagine. Rainbird. I said several times. I know that it's an older movie, but. His grotesque face is barely mm. like they put a, a a cataract contact in one eye and Call drew it a, a scar down half of his face. Yeah, but it's not it's not terrifying. He's not intense. He's not scary. But here is the most problematic thing that I have with Rainbird the the scene the scene in the dark. It's <laughs> gar- that scene was one of my favorite things in the book because it illustrates Rainbird's pure fucking genius Mm -hmm. and improvising this vulnerable side of him that doesn't exist in this the storm is happening and he the lights flicker and he's like man I sure hope the power doesn't go off I'd be real upset if there was no lights (laughs) Just tele- like telegraphs it so hard that it made it feel like in the book he says, guy, you could have orchestrated this accident forever ago. And to me, this adaptation feels like that's exactly what they did. It yeah. was
1: clumsy. It was, was so
2: clumsy.
0: And it the scene <laughs> didn't help the scene that it was filmed in what looks like pure daylight. Like, it's so bright. (laughs) Boy, there sure is a lot of light for this completely dark
1: room. Oh, you guys didn't let me finish my pitch. Oh, so sorry. sorry. So, sorry. So, the only actor that is cast is Drew Barrymore. And everyone else is a cardboard cutout of a person.
0: (laughs) I thought you were going to do the the everyone else is a Muppet thing that's on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I'd watch that.
1: I'd watch that. I, I mean, she... Props to her. I think it would still be... It would be interesting to watch.
0: She is the best. Although I also think that Martin Sheen being cast mm, as Cap yes. is pretty good, although too young in this He's
1: movie. He's not Cap to me. I he think... He didn't do a bad job. Martin,
0: Martin Sheen now. Yeah. Modern oh Martin God, Sheen yeah. would be the perfect
1: guy. They Cap. were just way ahead of their time with that one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> in the remake, he should still play yeah. Cap and it'd be much better. <laughs> I think um, Martin Sheen played Cap in a way that cuz we lost Hockstetter. We lost a full character mm-hmm. with all that malicious intent. And I feel like they they took Hockstetter split him in half and gave him half of that to Pinchit and half of that to Cap to to show the different reactions. I thoroughly enjoyed seeing Cap so fucking excited about the success of the experiment. Yeah. Yes. That was like it made me really enjoy that
0: um okay so where where we are in the plot they they uh leave the motel and they meet irv manders
2: this is all he's adorable exactly and he is
1: robbing the cradle
2: (laughs) (laughs) norma is his daughter's age yeah
0: i I think they do a really good job though yeah they Um, do i
1: liked them both
0: for as short as this bit is
1: no burning chickens ben
0: I I know. Uh, It was around this part that I turned to CM and asked, how much fucking longer is this movie? (laughs) And the one thing that kept me going was I wanted to see some chickens explode. Uh, Which brings us to the incident at the Manders farm. No chickens explode. Not a Did single. Feel... No one gets bean stabbed.
1: Okay. Is it just because we read the book and there were all those details, for example, mm. the bean stabbing that we really appreciated <laughs> and the chicken explosion and the house burns down and Irv doesn't seem like he just got winged. He seems like he's in in actual danger with his wound. Did this feel like a really anticlimactic and boring showdown?
0: I... Is it just me? Yeah, I, I actually enjoyed this scene. I, I thought it I thought it, they did pretty well.
1: I thought the effects were well done, but mm. I was just sort of waiting for it to be over.
2: Yeah. I enjoyed the special effects, especially watching all of those cars explode and then those two guys run to the only not exploded car <laughs> and then it get exploded. There were a lot of like really cool moments in that sequence. I felt zero tension.
0: Yeah. And I would agree with that.
2: It's it's something that even if you know what is going to happen there are still movies i see that i've seen a hundred times and i still get tense at moments i knew what was going to happen but i just i felt no tension in mm. in that entire altercation i feel like they wanted to stay so true to that plot by plot moving of the story that they let go of interesting things it is kind of going to what CM said a while ago about having it be different, I don't know if I would be excited to see this movie with a whole different structure. But I, I wouldn't be upset if we skipped over some of that plot by plot movement just to get some of that really cool action, like the the stuff at Grand thurs Boring, mm-hmm. not necessary. It happens in the book, sure, but I, I mean, I I would have been fine if. They'd done the story where the incident at the Manders farm happens, and they don't leave, and Rainbird comes back and strikes them there or Mm -hmm. something. Something small like that, so that you could give that whole area more time to develop.
1: Are you just trying to get out of us having to hear the word Granther? I
0: really am. (laughs) Uh, The only part of the the Granther saga... (laughs) That's worth talking about is the the fake out that's in the book of him going and taking the letters to uh that he's going to send to the
2: newspapers. That is something else I want to talk about forever.
0: And there is The the fake out of, oh, all these people in the town, they could talk, but they're mostly quiet, keep to themselves. And then there's the one guy that spots him and calls from uh, the shop from a scrambler phone. That Hmm. is replaced with, he walks into town and an old woman in a shop sees him and goes, can I use your phone? And then cut to... Martin Sheen going, oh, you got him? And an old lady going, yep, it's him. And then that's it.
2: It's so dumb. Was pretty dumb. Okay, kind of going down that train, something that for this plot, point to plot point remake, I did not realize how much losing the passage of time destroys this story for me. Yep. The fact that This this story, the way this movie goes, this happened in a week. (laughs) Yes, I I didn't think about it. I would have
1: even accepted a five months later thing over the screen, just to show or or the passing of the seasons. Because yeah, it's basically it looks like they get there, and the next morning they're leaving.
0: Yep. Yeah, it could easily if someone said this whole
2: movie took place in two days, I would believe. (laughs) (laughs) Because that that's and that's part of what makes. The scene of the guy who owns the shop across from the mailboxes calling the info in. That's what made that reveal so cool is because he's been there for months. Mm-hmm.
1: Can you guys help me understand why I'm more upset about the mailman being robbed and protesting than just being straight up killed? Like, I feel like it's a it was a bigger injustice in the book. And in the movie, they just straight up like choke him out
0: yeah because he has to he has to live with the knowledge
2: that the government has betrayed him.
1: I think that's another tension building thing that we missed from the movie.
2: Mm-hmm. and it's another example of people standing up for for what's right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: like he this is his duty. And instead, he pulls over to help somebody whose car's broken down, and Rainbird strangles him h- happily. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how it seemed like. It almost seemed like... Did you strangle happily? If I... Okay. <laughs> this is not how it played in the movie. But in my mental theater, if I play back that scene, it is a man, roughly the physique of Santa Claus, wrapping a rope around this guy, lifting him up, and just going... <laughs> <laughs> Josh, do you watch movies twice removed from the actual
0: movie? Sometimes what <laughs> you you have to watch a movie and then filter it through your own Josh filter. Yeah, I am a narcissist. This, this yes. movie was not what Josh wants.
1: So in Josh's Firestarter, Rainbird is Santa.
2: The, ah. f- the physique of Santa. Like I, as I'm thinking about it, I just, I because i'm thinking of rainbird as sloppier and fatter it is in my my brain exaggerating that to a comic <laughs> style I, because of how much that scene had so little you impact guys are on me i you're ruining
1: my rating <laughs> i
2: wouldn't pay any
0: amount of money to be able to watch a movie through
2: that lens <laughs> I, you kind of did with the running running. Oh man. yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> we can skip ahead to, they, they've been captured, right?
2: Like, oh, but we need to talk about how great that end scene, the end shot of the capture scene is.
1: Oh, because that was cool, yeah. Yeah.
2: That the, he, he fires very, very slowly, <laughs> fires two darts, taking both of them out, and just in this shot of the, the tree line, and then you see people in the fireproof suits, you see one guy poke up, yes. then another guy, then Rainbird starts walking in the distance, and then as he's coming out, another one, another one, until there's like ten people that have just been in this shot, hidden in these protective suits. It's, and they walk up, it's so It's cool. very
0: surreal, it is... It makes me wonder if they got, like, a different director for that one day. <laughs> <laughs> because it is the one thing that happens in the movie that actually has, like, is visually striking.
2: Well, and we talk about mm-hmm. how ineffective the shop is. And that scene right there just shows how prepared they were for that to go wrong. And they were prepared to, to escalate. And I thought that was mm-hmm. a nice show of force.
0: Charlie and Andy have been captured, and uh, we get to see uh, the movie's take on the secret underground shop apartments. Pretty nice, very fancy,
1: like a at least four star bed and breakfast.
0: Yeah, like a really, really nice hotel.
1: Mm -hmm. Like, there's Um, all there's that. I say bed and breakfast because it has like that floor to ceiling wallpaper Mm -hmm. and everything's floral and extravagant and these big cushy chairs and yeah I wanted to sleep
0: there kind of I I wouldn't (laughs) complain I I actually do like that because it is kind of jarring yeah because in my head in the book I imagined like you said while we were watching it I did imagine them to be comfortable. But I imagine them to be very sterile. Yeah, more and like an
1: efficiency apartment. Very sparse, just what you need. Comfortable, exactly. but nothing Like a fancy. dorm room.
0: Yeah. 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 But this kind of shows, like, the lengths that the shop goes to, which is kind of eerie.
1: Well, yeah, because they're... Why? Why make everybody so comfortable?
0: And they have, like, fancy curtains and, like, window dressing, that they immediately pull down and it's literally just a steel wall. Mm-hmm. And that's such it's yeah, it's them going to such unnecessary
2: lengths. Did I just assume this in the reading, but I thought their their section was completely underground?
0: I that's so too. I assumed that as well. Uh yeah, because they say that it's under the house. Yeah. It's under the the shops like plantation style house.
2: So okay. which yeah, is I didn't think why about the that. windows being blocked off made complete sense to me.
1: But she had a skylight.
2: <laughs> but then she apparently had a skylight. Because we could I, see
1: the lightning during, during the, the storm, storm inside her room. And if there were no windows, we wouldn't be able to see the lightning. If, and that
2: really bothered me. <laughs> what, if, what if there was just like a, a technician back there just flicking flipping the lights <laughs> on and off because they think Charlie's a really dumb kid? And they're like, ah, oh, this'll make her think that there's lightning.
1: Rainbird thinks she's a really dumb kid. He acts like he has never talked to a kid before and doesn't understand what kids are.
2: Well, okay. The developing of that relationship, again, we talked about the blackout sequence, Mm -hmm. but all in all, this relationship that they develop in the book feels like such a payoff because we know how hard Rainbird's trying and yes, mm-hmm. it's because we're getting we lose out on internal monologue when we have movies that don't have internal monologue. but I felt like it was lacking any reward. like we don't see the the fallout of after that incident happens and we have the meeting with Cap Hosteader and Rainbird where is screaming at him for you know giving mm-hmm. her that idea, mm-hmm. we get to see Rainbird bragging. And in control of the situation and reaping the reward of all the work he's put in. And the way this flows, it it seems like Charlie was only moderately standoffish. Like she yeah. she talks to him the first time he visits, which is not how it happens. That He has to see her a bunch of times for her to even speak to him. I think actually isn't the blackout the first time she ever speaks to him? I th- More than a couple words, yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah,
1: they. I would have at this point accepted a room cleaning montage, just mm-hmm. again to show us the passage of time and how long yes. he's had to work on her, how stubborn he, she's being. Because what they did do that I really liked is in in one scene we see Andy in a chair and there are like three men on him forcing drugs into his mouth and down his throat and then it immediately cuts to Charlie and there's two men with her and she's in this bed and it's full of gifts and presents and they're just trying to engage with her and get her interested and excited and opening up and it was cool to see how they were treating both of them I agree and that's Uh, where that stopped
0: (laughs) (laughs) no I, I I agree it's it's just I mean it's part of obviously a movie can't give us like you said every bit of internal monologue It can't give us all the details that a novel would. But there's so much stuff that even even events that would have informed, would have given us a chance to get into the characters' heads, are either not there or moved in such a way that they don't land. Charlie finds out after she's done all the tests and she's, Asking to see her dad um, in the book, she finds out that Rainbird has betrayed her. What was it, days or at least yeah, a day yeah. before the escape? And it allows us to see how much that information hurts her. It shows us if that would have been shown to us and given us a chance to see. The depth of the betrayal, it would have made us feel like the connection between her and Rainbird was so much more powerful than it looked. Mm-hmm. But instead, she literally doesn't find that out until they're in the barn yeah, with Rainbird. And Andy says, no, he's the one that shot us. He's the one that captured us. And its it just falls flat.
2: Well, they had to do that so that we could get the sweet callback to Rainbird's judo windup. <laughs> where I thought he was having a heart attack <laughs> okay yeah so um Andy Andy
0: during the captured we haven't even talked about Andy during this captured yeah, that's segment. true because it's not boring it, yeah it's boring it doesn't get into the addiction angle because how yep. do you portray that just visually if you're a bad director um <laughs> so like he's just shown like just crying and watching Woody Woodpecker and he doesn't have a dream sequence. He just learns he can change the channels on his TV with his brain again. That's how he knows he has his powers
2: back. Well, he gets his powers back by giving himself a pep talk in the mirror and saying, you can't help Charlie. If you are stoned and then he starts not taking his meds, but for some reason that's just not taking his meds brings his powers back despite the fact that his powers stopped working in the first experiment.
0: I literally did not see that scene. I, I, I was in the room the whole time. I do not remember that at all.
1: So it makes a little more sense, but it still doesn't have that weight. It to has it. no impact. Yeah. It's
0: it's lame. Uh but he does get his powers back, and he never pushes pinch it, which
2: good or bad, guys.
1: I'm okay with it. I, guess. I would have liked
2: to see arm in a garbage disposal.
1: You mean a vaginal disposal? <laughs> yeah.
2: It, it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is so weird because it, it's like, was it too faithful to the book? Were they trying too hard? Which I had never thought that I would hear myself saying because I always <laughs> want more, be more faithful to the book, do more with the book. When he pushes cap, he. <laughs> they bring the snake thing in for just a second. And it's like, that's totally for people who've read the book. Yeah. That does not come up again. And it makes no sense because we don't know anything about the echo from the movie itself. This
0: yes. go, this
2: goes back to uh. if we
0: had not read the book, would this movie make any fucking
2: sense? No. The echo and the ricochet are two of the best things about the book. They are by and large, the most interesting thing because it is such a delicate, problematic thing that weighs on Andy and his actions so much. We
1: get just enough of it.
2: We don't get any never, of it. <laughs>
1: no, but I mean, in, in the book, we get just oh, enough yeah. of it. W- same with um, Charlie's powers. Where is that energy coming from? Mm-hmm. That it's so intriguing and you finish the book and you're still thinking about it and you're still talking about it and mm-hmm. speculating. Not, yeah. and, and I don't know if that's fair because I don't know. I don't know. Is there an effective way to do that?
0: It would have been like an echo in the movie. Absolutely. I think mm-hmm. would have it would have been
2: extremely interesting.
1: I mean, they talk about it in the book, so we well, could have learned about it through their conversation. Yeah.
2: And the echo that happens to Cap does not take a lot of time. It is the first push. It is seeing the a desk drawer open. Which mm-hmm. could have happened in a conversation with Rainbird or something anytime he was in his office, mm-hmm. then it is uh, him talking about golf, and then it's a fire hose or yeah. no, just a garden hose.
0: Yeah, it it could have been in the movie so easily, and it would have added it. It's such I love. I think I mentioned this in one of the first two episodes that the reason I love the push, the, the reason I love this book. Like, my favorite part of the book is that it is a take on superpowers and superheroes where the powers have major downsides. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of superpowers where it's not just fucking Superman and I can do anything and there's no downside. I love... Uh, I mean, that's why I love the X-Men so much. My One of my favorite X-Men is this guy named Chamber, who has pretty much Cyclops' powers, except the blast comes from his chest. And the first time he used it, he blew his own jaw off.
2: Holy shit! Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's
0: like, awesome. that's so interesting. Yeah. And that's why I love the push. It's like, it's so powerful but there are these downsides. And that it's we that don't, balance of like yeah.
1: super superpower versus vulnerability and a really good story kind of mixes those and balances them in a way that ups the stakes and makes you care and mm. makes you worry and wonder, is this character going to be okay?
0: And instead, what we get in this is literally he goes to, on a walk with Cap and says, hey, it'll bite you. <laughs> <And> everyone <laughs> in the room goes, What? <laughs> and he goes that snake you're holding and then cap is holding a very very small non-threatening snake <laughs> and then it's never brought up again you're like the that's fuck that's
2: was that, that supposed about?" supposed to be
1: him like testing whether he could push before he tried before he said something that would give away he was trying to before push? he
2: grabbed his head i mean yeah.
1: that
0: follows because andy is really dumb about using his powers he uses it for the worst possible way
1: I was hoping they'd fix that in the showdown between him and Rainbird.
0: They kind of do well, before
1: little, they
2: yeah. kind of
0: really don't.
1: <laughs> yeah, they kind of do. Then they just go back.
2: Go Should back we talk about it. the the final confrontation? Absolutely. Charlie spills the beans about uh, we're leaving at eight o'clock tonight to oh Rainbird. To Rainbird. The
1: thing that I said she would have done.
2: Yeah, yes, that's episode. very true.
0: Because uh, yeah.
1: that's really obvious. Never mind. I don't know why I got so. And <laughs> that's the point where
0: Rainbird goes. That's really great and like
1: has a heart attack.
0: Does, he grabs at his chest, which is what he does when he karate chopped Wanless in the face. <laughs> and, and you're like, "Oh, he's going to get Charlie or he's just feeling himself up." That angle would be hard. She's yeah. so much
2: shorter well, and
1: it, his plan gets foiled. And I can't remember which one of you brought this up, but stupidly, mm-hmm. because it, just another shop employee comes in. And then he's like, oh, okay, I can't okay. do it. It's like, well, you're Rainbird. You can do what you want. Yeah. But maybe that guy would have ruined his moment of watching her death and
2: like oh, I guess. So it. I think we're getting it way that. more credit than <laughs> it is deserves. That's what I do. But <laughs> Rainbird goes into the barn just like, or the stable, just like in the book. He hides up in the rafters and waits. Uh, the guard brings Charlie. And, and It follows that path that... You know, She burns his hand to make him let go and leave and then from the rafters he calls out to her and tells her to come up and just before she's gonna get up there her dad comes bursting in and then we go into slow motion as we all prepare for something terrible to happen.
1: Yeah, she and is then running doesn't. towards him in slow motion, and you see her like coming towards the screen, and I'm waiting for that moment when it cuts back to Andy, and then we see him get shot by Rainbird before he has a chance to catch Charlie in his arms. Then he just catches her.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, super, super anticlimactic. So, yeah, he catches Charlie, and he's like, let's get out of here, and she says, John's here, though. Which... Andy just learned on like the drive over <laughs> who Rainbird is. Yeah. And um Rainbird they're having the back and forth taunting each other. And for a split second I had really high hopes for this part because instead of the snake sex machina that <laughs> saves them in the book where uh, Cap freaks out because he thinks he saw a snake, Andy does the coolest thing he does in yeah. the movie. Turns to Cap and just goes Kill him and then runs
2: off. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Great idea. Man. And
2: that ugh, Martin Sheen or getting that bullet through the skull from Rainbird was so fucking cool. That was good. That was a really cool way for him to die. Uh, however, it's followed up by the most ridiculous thing because <laughs> stepping out to shoot Cap has brought Rainbird an eyesight of Andy and Andy. Grabs his hair <laughs> And Just stares at him And Rainbird's like Trying to fight Like just shaking his head around And then we get head. the audio cue That it worked And then he says He says jump <laughs> But what Rainbird heard Was Shoulder tackle this hay bale <laughs> Because that's what it he is does
0: The sound he
2: makes <laughs> The sound is great He is He's behind
0: a wall of hay <laughs> And he says, jump. And so he jumps through it <laughs> while making a Frankenstein noise.
2: Would you like to take a stab at the I noise? D- Hold
0: on. I gotta. He's like. <laughs> 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 and just dives through a bunch of hay. And it is the funny. Worth the price of admission. Because it's so fucking stupid.
1: The most offensive part of that scene to me was the rainbird (laughs) peekaboo. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Because he's he's this really skilled assassin. (laughs) And when they figure out what's going on, and Andy's, you know, they're throwing taunts back and forth, he's just like darting behind (laughs) things on the loft, like peeking in and out. It's like, he's this guy that you never know he's even there.
0: Yeah. Just like it'd be so much more menacing of him like, just like in the book just slowly drawing a bead on him mm-hmm. but nope <sighs> okay so
1: he he shoots Andy as he after he falls he shoots him like he does in the book and mm-hmm. Andy's dying and-,
0: and we do not get the, the Andy's death in the book is so tragic because he it's it was he his final it. act he it yeah. is yeah it's his act of sacrifice it's to save It's not him Charlie. getting
1: shot it's him pushing Rainbird so hard to jump yes that he ruptures his brain we- and in the book he gets shot and then he's bleeding and then charlie has her standoff with rainbird and <laughs> the f- first time i didn't appreciate the special effect so much when he fires the bullet and it like oh, stops yeah. in the air <laughs> and then it burns up and
0: explodes it looks like a mini death star yes explosion. it does
1: but then it's followed by a really cool special effect where she Fire blasts Rainbird and sends him flying into the back yeah. wall of the barn.
0: Yeah. Uh, the best part of this mm-hmm. ending is uh, for all of the flaws of this movie, the fucking special effects in the
2: final destruction are rad as hell. Absolutely. I do like, they, I mean, they, and they hit all those. I mean, they double down on the fireballs. I think in, mm, that's in the okay, book,
1: though, like, yeah, I could have even done with a few more just oh. fireballs raining down. It reminded me of of Carrie in Rose Red with the rocks raining down, and I was like, wow, you know, maybe she's like pulling down meteorites or asteroids or something and uh, she's yeah, it channeling the sun it I doesn't don't make
2: sense where they're coming from no they like, just
1: appear on screen it, it
2: looks cool as hell so it yeah. doesn't matter well at this point you've just kind of given up on the story making <laughs> sense and you're just like oh, fireballs yeah it's the 80s whatever
0: yeah uh it, this scene made sense that the only movie of note that this director ever made after this was commando starring arnold schwarzenegger so like that tracks yeah just long sequences of things blowing up and people falling over.
2: It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: Wish the movie was watching, more of this.
2: Watching Pinchit drive away in that little golf <laughs> cart, and he just kept looking over his shoulder every, like, few feet oh, until no. he exploded. Okay,
0: the best part of this was either the fire tendrils, which yes, looked fire tendrils exactly were as I imagine them in the book. The, like, snakes of fire shooting out from her. So cool. But the best part was the guy across the tiny bridge.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes. yes. Oh my God. It's the guy who was supposed to be the Jones or Orville? The or no, the guy who was with Rainbird when they captured him and he,
2: Oh, Don Jules, Don yes. Jules. Yeah.
1: So the Don Jules is hiding on the other side of the bridge and with he, his perm. <laughs> he gets fireballed, which the fireball is cool. But then they do something even <laughs> more magical the the impact of the fireball projects him all the way up into the air into a tree <laughs> and he like just explodes into this tree
0: i could not help but think of all of the people on set that day and how that had to have been the best oh day of God, work yeah. anyone oh, has ever so had. So much fun. It's like, what did you do at work today? I fucking set a mannequin on fire and then blew the fucker <laughs> into a tree.
2: It was awesome. <laughs> I have one question in regards to this final epic scene. Which do you think plays better when she takes the the building down with just fireball after fireball after fireball, or the way it's represented in the book, where she just turns, looks at the building, nothing happens, and then boom! It's,
0: uh, I did think of this. Visually, obviously, I think this works better because it's a spectacle. This isn't the only part that's in the book that they change dramatically that I think is for the best, specifically just because it is a visual medium. It is this and the scene that we skipped over with the cinder block mm-hmm. wall. Oh, that, was that cool. seems really Because cool. in the book, both instances are Charlie unleashes her power so violently and so powerfully, it is destroyed faster than the human eye can take in. Which, when you read about it, it's like, fuck. That's <laughs> awesome and scary and just great. But if... They had done that in the movie it would have been like what the fuck just happened. Yeah, you're right. I don't even they would it would have had to be it happens and then the characters go, "Wow, she blew it up faster than you could see." I think it is a better <laughs> direction option, just visual option to show the destruction and show a wall of cinder blocks slowly bursting into flame.
1: It's one of those things I said earlier, there were a couple of things that they changed that I mm-hmm. thought worked really, really well. They just, I wanted them to then take that and keep going and just be bolder. Well, anyway, so that, I honestly don't remember how this scene ends. <laughs> I just, I feel like she explodes a house and then she arrives at herbs mm-hmm. in a yeah. truck?
0: Yeah. yeah. She, oh, so is that literally
1: how it happened? Yeah, yeah it's oh. just like
0: it goes from showing like a close up of her face to the burning house. And, and she's like,
2: crying, and she says, this is for you, Daddy. Hmm. And then it cuts to the truck pulling up at the Manders farm. Mm-hmm.
1: And they accept her.
0: And take her to the New York Times instead of uh, Rolling Stone, which, nah, sure. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> I, I, overall, no, I was going to try and be like, you know, talking about it has made me enjoy it more. <laughs> you know you
1: know what's really messed up? So we've had a number of incidents on this podcast Where mostly Josh has come in with a rating in mind. Mm -hmm. And then after talking to us, Josh, you've kind of you've had a different opinion afterwards.
0: Your rating has increased just a bit. I was trying to pull a Josh. Yeah. I was (laughs) trying to be like, no, I did like this. You guys
1: have made me pull a reverse Josh. (laughs) I, I came in prepared to be a little more forgiving and accepting of it and find things that I liked about it and you made me like it
0: less. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, before we get to our ratings, I thought it would be fun. We've talked a lot about I still would love to see a modern take on this movie. I, I think, given the right director, this could be a fantastic movie. I, I truly believe that. Agreed. So I wanted to see if we could fully cast the remake. All right. So uh, I've given a few. Uh, like, I still think uh, Chris Pratt would make a fantastic Andy. Yes.
1: <laughs> Drew Barrymore uh, as Charlie. <laughs> she did such a good job. I can't see anyone else
2: in a propeller hat. <laughs> yeah, a big. No, Drew uh, Barrymore walling. has to play her mom. Yeah, I was gonna say Vicky, she would Vicky. totally yeah, play. Yeah, be awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, what, what, what oh, you still guys Martin Sheen. Still crap. Martin Sheen. Do you guys have castings for Rainbird? I know, I know who I want to say, but I I also uh I've said in both of the last episodes that I, I, I do think Javier Bardem would be really cool as Rainbird. The more after watching the movie and seeing George C. Scott, <laughs> a white dude, I don't think Javier Bart. I think Javier Bardem is Italian. Season two of the FX adaptation of Fargo. There is a an actor named Zon McLaren, McLaren, McLarnon. Boy, I am so <laughs> sorry uh, to Mr. McLarnon, but he is of native American descent and he is amazing. He is a, a fantastic actor and he has, go watch that show because one, it's amazing. And two, he, he has the perfect demeanor,
1: he looks in my head like what I was picturing Rainbird.
0: Yes, he he is fantastic. I think he could fucking kill the part of Rainbird. Mm-hmm.
2: The only actor I could think of, I had to look it up because I can never remember his name. Because he, I know him from a movie that I hate. Uh, is Billy Worth from Lost Boys? He's got <sighs> dude. He's Josh, got the the, I, the 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 kid. You say or, that
1: you hate Lost. Boys. Yeah, I
2: didn't. And he's okay. You're a bad person. He's just—he's I mean, got—he's right. got a really just intense, like scary-looking face. Mm-hmm. And I bet if you did the appropriate look for a Rainbird, he'd fucking rock. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's
1: a pretty good cast.
2: I think so too. Yeah,
1: I don't think and, and anyone else is just sort of oh well. I guess Irv and Norma. Yeah. John Lithgow. I was just <laughs> I was about to say like,
0: that. John Lithgow did great in Pet <laughs> Cemetery. Just throw him in there. Yeah. You can never have too much Lithgow. Anyway, that's that's the movie I think we should get to our ratings,
2: guys. Let's do it.
1: I, I kind of already gave mine. You guys changed my mind. Uh, three out of five blue chambray shirts. Not wow. horrible, not great, just kind of middle of the road.
0: For me. Is that the lowest rating you've given anything that we've done so far? No. No? no? <laughs> Apt Pupil.
2: Oh, that's right. Which leads me to my score. One, I would not recommend watching this movie. Do not watch it. Go on YouTube and look up a super cut of the special effects scenes because that's the only thing worth watching in this movie. I would rather watch Apt Pupil. Oof. Oh, Wow. That's crazy. Because here's why. Uh, Not like for personal enjoyment watch them (laughs) because I'd never watch either of these for personal enjoyment ever again in my life. But if I had to pick the three of us sitting together watching a Stephen King movie, I would rather the three (laughs) of us watch (laughs) Apt Pupil because it's more fun to discuss the the big differences to to discuss things that that work that don't work. This movie was boring the yeah. big be- i enjoyed the beginning i enjoyed the end but the hour in the middle mm-hmm. was just uh, nothing it there was we we couldn't really crack many fun jokes we we did very little talking at all because it was just like all right we're we're getting through this so i am going to score the movie Firestarter two out of five blue chambray shirts
0: I could not have said that better myself. Like, that is exactly my thoughts on the movie. Watching it, I I love watching movies with you guys. It's so much fun. I've honestly been looking forward to today, because we haven't done a movie in a while. Yeah, me too. And, like, I was really excited for it. And I wasn't kidding when I said earlier, I turned to CM and said, we can just be done. Like, (laughs) I don't think we need to watch this whole movie. I get it. There are... Some interesting parts. Uh, the effects are cool. Drew Barrymore is great. But I, I I agree. I can't recommend this movie. I think I have to give it two out of five blue chambray shirts.
2: Well, that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode, where we'll be covering part one of The Outsider. And we'll be reading through the chapter titled The Arraignment. For Benjamin Graham and Sam Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn asking you. If I do something bad, will you still love me?
1: Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thanks for listening to Firestarter Part 3. Let us know if you agree with our ratings or if you feel differently. You can tell us on social media at Dairy Public Radio or email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And speaking of social media, we have a really exciting announcement that we'll be making in early March. We've been spending extra time in the studio the whole month of February, and we can't wait for March to get here. So keep an eye on that announcement. Don't forget to check out our Patreon for bonus episodes and our website constantreaders.org for extra fun stuff related to Stephen King and everything Stephen King adjacent. And if you've enjoyed our episodes, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes because it really helps us out. It helps keep us in the charts so other listeners can find us. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.